0: Welcome back to America's First 50 Years, our podcast about early American history. I'm Chris McKenna and with me is my co-host, Kathy Conroy.
1: Hi Chris, in today's podcast, we're going to discuss the debates on the formation of the executive branch of government and the creation of the electoral college that took place during the Philadelphia Convention. Attesting to the critical thinking talent of our founding fathers, the Virginia delegates opened the debate about the Virginia plan by asking their fellow delegates to first debate whether a national government should be established. And that government would then consist of a supreme legislature, a judicial system, and some type of an executive structure, for the newly envisioned government so that it was able to provide for common defense and security, a common currency, and the common welfare of the population. The viewpoint of the delegates presenting the Virginia plan was if after debating, it was agreed that some type of national government was needed, then the delegates could continue to discuss and debate details in the plan relative to the execution of the overall concept. Some of the initial questions that arose from the delegates in debating whether some type of national or federal government should be established were, well, are we abolishing all the state governments? Another was, what powers will this national or federal government have? Most delegates did not want to give the newly created government open-ended power. As a side note, Chris, at some point during the convention, the delegates agreed to eliminate any reference to a national government, and those words were no longer used. Most likely, some of this related to the fact that there were a number of delegates very concerned about creating a national government that could become very large and powerful, and that would ultimately erode individual freedom and the power currently held by the existing states. This group ultimately became known as the Anti-Federalists, and we will talk more about them in a future podcast when we discuss the process of getting the new Constitution ratified after it came out of the Philadelphia Convention. After some debate, the delegates did agree to the high-level proposal put in front of them by the Virginia delegates that some type of a sovereign government was necessary to fix the problems of the existing Confederation of States. And then they ultimately turned their attention to more detailed debates surrounding the creation of this executive-level government and what powers it should have. Most of the delegates wanted to both list and limit the power to be given to this new executive branch of government. It's very interesting to note that the delegates debated this executive branch and the powers that it should be given several times throughout the four-month convention. Thus, the delegates debated, came up with some ideas, then they went on and debated other issues, and then they'd come back and revisit the executive branch topic and continue to debate and shape the concept of this newly envisioned branch of the government. This constant debate and tweaking of the powers to be given to the executive branch of the government was understandable, as this was an entirely new creation within the structure of the government, and any powers given to this executive branch would essentially be powers taken away from those historically given to the legislature. Another
0: debate regarding the proposed executive branch was who was going to be in charge. The ideas on this ranged from one individual to a three-person committee. Since most of the delegates expected George Washington to be involved in this newly formed executive branch, and because they knew that George Washington was not in favor of a committee running the executive branch, the delegates ultimately decided that this new branch of government would be run by one person, and most delegates presumed that this person would be Washington, should they ultimately make these changes to the structure of the existing government. The delegates also agreed that the one executive to be in charge of the executive branch would be given the title of the president. Then the delegates had to sort out how the president of the executive branch would be elected. Should Congress choose the president? During the majority of the convention, many delegates initially preferred this idea. However, over time, this idea lost favor as you would essentially have one branch of government, the legislature, directly influencing the selection of the head of the executive branch of the government. The other option was should the people elect the president. Some delegates thought this was a little too much direct democracy versus a republican form of government. One of the concerns was what would the masses of the population really know about the qualifications of the potential candidates. Well, By the middle of August, after a great deal of debate and the work of the Committee of Detail, the delegates had crafted the following relative to the powers of this new executive branch. That this branch would execute the laws passed by Congress. That the President would have limited veto power over legislation, limited as it could be overturned by a two-thirds vote of Congress. The President would receive ambassadors. He would appoint officers not otherwise provided for in the Constitution. The President would not have the power to declare war but he would serve as the commander in chief of the military and he has the presidential pardon power. However, by the end of August the delegates had still not fully agreed on all the powers to be given to this new branch of government and the process for electing the president. So the delegates referred to these areas as postponed parts and they sent these issues to a newly formed committee consisting of one delegate from each state. So this special committee on postponed parts, as it was called, goes to work. And on September 12th, they give their report and recommendations to the delegates. They recommended that the executive be given the authority to make treaties, the authority to appoint judges and ambassadors with the advice and consent of the Senate. And they also recommended that the president serve a four year term. And at that time, There was no recommendation about term limits.
1: As you know, Chris, prior to these recommended changes, the Senate had treaty-making authority. And since the Senate represented the states, some delegates thought the Senate had too much authority, especially in making treaties. So this function was moved to the executive branch. The argument favoring this change was that the Senate delegates who represented the interests of their state would be inclined to view a treaty relative to its impact on their particular state. However, a national executive branch of government would consider a treaty in the context of the entire country.
0: Well, as for how the president should be elected, this Special Committee on Postponed Parts revisited and recommended the idea that had been previously suggested by Roger Sherman of Connecticut, that the president of the executive branch be elected as follows. Each state would appoint individuals as electors. The number of electors that each state would have would be equal to the number of delegates in the House and the Senate. All of the individual electors together would comprise the Electoral College. And the Electoral College votes would determine who would serve as the president of the executive branch of the government. The Electoral College system eliminated problems associated with direct election by the people, reducing the chances of a demagogue being elected just by mob popularity, and it also eliminated the problems of having the president elected by the legislature, which might favor a particular candidate for the wrong reasons, and also have too much influence on the executive branch of government. This is how the Electoral College came into being.
1: Chris, does an elector have to cast their votes in the Electoral College consistent with the results of the popular vote in their state?
0: Kathy, the answer is it depends. In 30 states, electors are required by law to vote for the winner of the state's popular vote. In the other 20 states, electors can vote any way they wish, although they almost always vote for the winner of the popular vote. If they don't, they are called faithless electors.
1: And what happens if there is a tie in the Electoral College voting?
0: Kathy, in that case, the election is thrown into Congress. The House of Representatives would elect the president from the three presidential candidates who received the most electoral votes. Each state delegation has one vote, and it is up to the individual states to determine how to vote. A candidate must receive at least 26 votes, which would be a majority of the states, to be elected president. The Senate elects the vice president from the two vice presidential candidates with the most electoral votes. Each senator casts one vote for vice president. A candidate must receive at least 51 votes, a majority of senators, to be elected.
1: So in theory, we actually could have a situation where the House could elect a president associated with a particular party and the senate might elect a vice president associated with the opposite party. Quite possible.
0: Now, the odds of that happening are pretty slim. The odds of a tie in the electoral college are fairly remote. But yes, theoretically possible to have a republican president and a democratic vice president,
1: or vice versa. And if we look at the history of the country in the beginning years, the president and vice president were actually separately elected. There weren't tickets combining them together. And so occasionally you would have presidents and vice presidents who are not necessarily aligned in their political thinking.
0: Quite often since the president was the person who received the most votes and the vice president was the person who had received the second most electoral votes. So it was often the case that there was a president of one party and a vice president of a different one.
1: Very interesting.
0: Election law is
1: kind of fascinating. And in our next podcast, we're going to talk about the path to the ratification of the Constitution that came out of the Philadelphia Convention and some of the main arguments for and against ratifying that Constitution.